Welcome back to Random Trek, the podcast in which I, your host, Scott McNulty, discuss a random episode of Star Trek with a non-random guest. I am continuing my new tradition of having repeat guests back, which isn't really a new tradition, um, but I have decided since this is uh, well after I have reignited the podcast that I should stop mentioning that I've reignited the podcast, even though I just did mention it. Uh, Jerry Canavan is here. Jerry, can you help me stop talking about things I don't want to talk about? I'm very happy to help you stop talking. <laughs> I think a lot of listeners rejoice when you said that. Uh, we're here to talk about Star Trek, but before we jump into that, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Sure. I um a professor of literature at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I mostly teach science fiction. I sometimes teach Star Trek, but I teach other sorts of things too. I have the distinction of having done The Inner Light, one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. And now we get to talk about a very exciting episode that may be the worst episode of Star Trek oh, ever. The worst episode of Star Trek ever. That's Those are strong words. <laughs> I have been mad about this one since... 1994 i i really this was the moment where i felt like season seven was bad this one <laughs> and th there are a couple other real stinkers around it so i i think it's getting a little bit of a sub roses uh runoff but it's trouble oh boy well this episode that we're about to talk about is masks uh tng episode 17 from season seven uh, yeah, this one has a lot going on. Before we get into that, though, I want to 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 visit another favorite segment of Random Trek, and that is Pope Talk. The university you work at is a Jesuit university. The current Pope is a Jesuit, and that's how we will now end Pope Talk. Uh, I am <laughs> I, I've decided for some reason that we need to have Pope fun facts in Random Trek. It is fun having a Pope who's a Jesuit. It's it's kind of bizarre in the history of the church. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I feel like it gives us a little extra cachet, a little extra swagger. <laughs> I think it does. Here's a fun fact about me. Well, fun in quotes. Uh, I uh, was raised Roman Catholic and I went to a, a Jesuit high school. So I am, I'm a product of a Jesuit education. I, I was raised Catholic as well. I, 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 I've said this on the internet before. I don't know if I said it on another one of our <laughs> Pope fact episodes, but uh, <laughs> the Jesuits uh, – are great fun. I like the way they run a university and my dad mm -hmm. thinks they're going to sneak me into heaven. So uh, <laughs> no complaints. I'm a fan, a big fan of Jesuits. I'm not a huge fan of organized religion, uh, but I do enjoy the Jesuits. So there you go. That's why so, they're sneaking me in. Me. Exactly. Don't, don't send me your emails. If uh, I have, uh, if you, you know, I, I respect all faiths. It's all good. It's just not for me. Now let's let's close that <laughs> that segment of Pope Talk before I say something that I will regret on the internet, and, <laughs> and go back to masks. Which I suppose this episode I don't really know what to make of this episode. Frankly, I've seen it before. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever see it again. Um, but I was about to say, Jerry, that this may have some religious overtones. Maybe. I don't know. I don't really understand what's going on in this episode. Uh, like, I do understand the the basic plot, but I don't know what it is trying to accomplish. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll have to. We'll, to <laughs> we're going to have to think about it because it, it definitely seems like different different actors think they're in different kinds of stories in this episode. <laughs> and it doesn't quite cohere. Uh, I was shocked when the resolution happened because I hadn't been watching the bar move. And I was like, wait, that's that's the end. <laughs> and so it was. Uh, it's, We're done. It, it's very oddly paced. Yeah, it's 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 a weird 
episode. I mean, I guess it is in one of these, you know, there are maybe archetypes of Star Trek episodes and one of the, and I guess of science fiction stories in general. And one of them is uh, kind of, you, you find an object and it does things, um, which I guess applies to many different kinds of stories, but it feels like a very science fictiony thing. You find this alien object and it has unintended consequences. And that's what this episode is all about. Uh, I don't really understand. I was trying to think about what the themes of this episode are. Yeah, I, uh, one of the themes has to be that if you find a weird thing in outer space, you should just leave it alone and go on with your <laughs> business. Uh, it, it really yes. starts to starts to wear on the viewer that every time they encounter something, it tries to take over the ship and destroy it, <laughs> and they barely survive. And yet in the next episode, uh, they're doing it all again, uh, just as Data should have been grounded permanently the first time he was reprogrammed. And tried to take over the ship uh, rather than continuously being allowed yes. to to do it. Yes, and this is this is a controversial opinion that I have. But I do feel like after Jean-Luc Picard was assimilated and de-assimilated from the Borg, maybe he should not be in charge of the flagship of the Federation. That's all I'm saying. Well, Worf, who repeatedly betrays the Federation to the Klingons, <laughs> also shouldn't be chief of security on their flagship. Uh, Tr- Troy is a security hazard. Her brain is constantly letting in bad stuff. <laughs> uh, almost all of them should have been uh, grounded and possibly imprisoned at some point during the run. <laughs> that, that is true. Uh, it's, it's a ship of outlaws. It's, <laughs> it's a, suddenly it's a Firefly. Uh, although I don't know if they were outlaws. I've not really watched a lot of Firefly. I'm, I'm, I'm letting all kinds of secrets out about myself. <laughs> you've, uh, you've, you've never done it? You should do it for, uh, for one of the you know, first class fundraising things. People would like to hear mm. you do random Firefly. I've seen the movie, uh, and that is about it. It was actually um, aired on Fox in random order, so it's kind, it would kind of fit your, <laughs> your theme perfectly. See, there you go. It's, it's all aligning. Uh, but let's talk about Masks, everyone's favorite episode of TNG. <laughs> and it starts with, so I don't know how you feel about uh, Data, Jerry, but he's one of my favorite characters. I like him. He uh, is a Star Trek archetype again, where he's, you know, you know he wants to be a real human. And, and that's a, a thing that happens a lot in Star Trek. Uh, because being a human is awesome, uh, because Star Trek is, uh, uh, you know, space races. Uh, but they stick poor data in uh, this little class that uh, Troy is teaching, I guess, to encourage him to be creative. And so she's teaching, like, the children how to sculpt, and there's data at learning how to sculpt. I, I, if I were data, I would be insulted by this, is what I'm saying. I, I too, am a Data fan. Uh, he's one of my all-time favorite characters. I, I, having revisited Star Trek, I think possibly the Doctor edges him out, uh, which pains Ooh. me because I'm not a huge Voyager person, but I love the Doctor. I'm he's looking forward character. to seeing the Doctor in whatever version of, of Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Picardo, they're able to bring him back. This is a cruel episode for the Data fan, though, because this is, this is Brent Spiner's kind of contractual go-ham for 50 minutes yes. episode where he gets to just be silly and uh, data takes a back seat. I, I thought that class thing was hilarious because it's, it is a long discourse on art and how it's okay. If it's bad, it's actually better when it's bad. And it seemed to me that possibly they knew a little bit about the episode they were making uh, when they set well, it then, up with this, this whole thing about how it's okay to just try. 
Although Troy kind of insinuates that Data is doing it wrong, uh, even though she's saying on one hand, it's okay to try, but uh, then she's like, Data, that's not right. But she doesn't say that because he makes a replica of a pad and she tries to get him to make a sculpture of music and he makes a, a musical note and uh, Troy is like, oh, Data. His replica of the pad is shockingly bad. Um, it It is pretty It bad. must have been the best they could do because it's, a, you know, it is an intricate <laughs> electronic device to try to replicate. But uh, with Data's precision... And dexterity, you think he would have nailed it? He does not nail no, it. No, he, he needs not. more. He needs more uh, practice on and sculpting with children, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and and the other the so the one thing I did like about this episode is the shot of the Enterprise and the comet, the rogue comet, which is kind of the big object that they find um, in the remastered version. I, I didn't watch the. the <laughs> non-remastered version is probably looks like you know like a meatball next to the enterprise but in the remastered version it looks great so kudos to this episode for that i thought they were flying too close though i would have taken i would have taken the (laughs) ship just a just a hair away from it it was right on top of that comet it was very close but they wanted it for that shot i'm assuming yeah uh, because it looks cool it does Uh, look so there you go that 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 transition to the bridge also brought up another uh, too old too self-aware thing for me where I, first, I wanted to know where Worf was. Uh, he, I guess he had half a day uh, in that establishing shot. And then as soon as they brought him on, I was frantic about how much lines he had versus how long he would have had to sit in the makeup chair and just like <laughs> waiting for him to be able to do something to justify having <laughs> got in there at 4 a.m. Uh, you know, before everybody else to get put in that horrible makeup. Well, he's got to uh, shoot phasers at the the rogue comet, uh, and I think that's really all he does in this episode, right? Yeah, he was surprisingly chill. I I, I thought he would have started trying to blast some of the statues and uh, stuff <laughs> sooner. He was he was relatively uh, calm. I kept trying to remember if he was dating Troy or not at this point. That was a plot line from season seven know. that I couldn't remember. There's a joke about Riker possibly giving her something. Yes. So I, I just couldn't I couldn't figure out where 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 we're at. I don't know if they ever even properly dated or if it was just a, a kind of plot direction like a, they never really pulled the trigger on. Yeah, I think they were just kind of like, eh, we nobody wants this to happen. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a shockingly bad idea, uh, but bold for them shocking. to try. It's true. Uh, but luckily, War finds love later. Although, you know, it doesn't end well. Uh, but it's fine. It never. So ends this is well another. It doesn't. Security on um, the Enterprise is not great. So they find this rogue comet and then, or maybe, well, I don't know. Troy then is going to go off to this, you know, uh, jazzercise class that Worf is teaching. <laughs> and uh, Crusher, with Dr. Her, Crusher With her off-the-rack gym bag. That- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they didn't even make it a space gym yeah. bag by putting, like, aluminum foil on it. Uh, and before she goes, uh, you know, Dr. Crusher's like, hey, we're, we're running late. Uh, before she goes, she notices this strange obelisk has appeared on her. I don't know if it's technically an obelisk, uh, but it is an obelisk-like thing uh, on her table in her quarters. Uh, and she is less concerned than I would be if <laughs> a strange statue appeared in my living quarters. Um I don't, maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm paranoid. <laughs> but she's like, whatever, maybe. And Dr. Crusher's like, maybe it's a secret admirer or Riker. Uh, and and I'm like, I, I don't, why would anyone just break into your quarters and, and leave this thing and then not, you know, not leave a note, maybe? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you're right. It is more alarming if it was a secret admirer, not less. <laughs> it, it strikes me as very strange. But uh, this is when we know... <gasps> 
something strange is afoot. Uh, and, and more of these things start showing up. And so then we really know. Uh, and, and I guess the sculpture class is really there so that Theta can do this thing where he creates this mask. Uh, cause, oh, I guess I skipped over it. Like there's a flash from the, the comet or something, right? And strange things start to happen. Uh, and that's when, you know, as a seasoned Star Trek watcher, when you see a flash like that, you think, well, Data is going to be taken over. <laughs> as a student of happens. art, I was surprised that Troy liked the shitty mask. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> liked the mask, but not, uh, the music symbol he had made earlier. Uh, it was, they both seemed equally bad to my untrained <laughs> eye. <laughs> I thought that musical note was pretty nice. Uh, but the, the mask, uh, not so. And so this is, this, I guess, if we want to figure out what this sh- episode is about, maybe it's about uh, symbols and their meaning in cultures. Um, but I don't find the symbols to be all that exciting. They're important in the, the episode, but they are, particularly this one that he has created on this mask uh, that we find out later is, um, and I'm going to mispronounce this, Mustaka, Masaka, Masaka, Mustafa. I think, yeah, it's, it's Masaka and then uh, uh, Corgano. Yes. And Corgano then the kind of is. weird Loki thing he is, uh, he turns mm-hmm. into is, I, I can't even remember what its its name is, the most annoying one. Ehat, I think, is that yeah, one? yeah, something like that. I, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that it's about it's about myth and archetypes, but it's so basic and unelaborated that it it kind of misses its own <laughs> point, right? Like it's it's just a story about the sun and the moon, even though it's a different planet that would have had a different sun and moon and different kind of relationship mm-hmm. between the two. But it's 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 just doing that, right? So, um, yes. it's a little bit by the numbers because they're just moving so quickly. Uh, it's true. And, and, and I would say, so we know Captain Picard is uh, an amateur archaeologist. So they, they basically blast away the, they figure something's up and they blast away the outer coating of this rogue comet and they find, oh no, it's a big structure. That's, uh, I think they say it's pretty solid. And so it's, it's something's going on in this structure. Um, turns out it's an alien archive of some kind. Uh, although, Oh, you, this, your F, you, it must be you because you did Inner Light, which was an alien uh, <laughs> yeah, archive. Yeah, this is the anti Inner Light in that sense, <laughs> right? Because they try to infect the crew with their weird culture for no reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to play it out to the end, and then they just shut down and go away mm-hmm. and leave it behind some sense. weird thing. If only Data had pulled out the mask in generations or something and wept <laughs> over it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. What, what is up with these aliens who just put all their knowledge into this very strange archive and just send them off into the universe to see what will happen? Uh, there, There is almost an implication that they, they put them in the archive to, like, launch them away to get rid of them, right? That they, you know, like they, oh, they're yeah, all being imprisoned in there in some fashion mm-hmm. or, or that, you know, that they're dangerous. And so that's why they've been launched. But it's just, hard to tell. And I'm very, I'm very confused about this whole thing because I am assuming that uh the people that data that's inhabiting data or or three or four of the people that are inhabiting data are mythological beings um and then at the end of the episode it is revealed that oh like an entire civilization was hanging out in data yeah uh but we only saw these three people now that's a very interesting idea being kind of you know possessed right. by uh, an entire civilization and going through that I, 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 a great I, idea i was enraged by it though because <laughs> Did that is that's part of the premise of data is that he has that his original colony in his head, right? Like the fifty seven or fifty eight. Mm-hmm. So to him this is old news, right? It's 
he he's always had all these other weird personalities in his head that we don't interact with. So it was they kind of they kind of they should have checked their show bible. <laughs> and also, I'm going to say, you know, <laughs> I I am not an amateur archaeologist nor an amateur anthropologist. Um but I figured out pretty quickly, uh, even the first time I watched it, that it was the whole sun and the moon thing. Uh, and it, it's not that much of a riddle to figure out what's going on. Uh, and as you said, the resolution is pretty underwhelming. Yeah. Um, it, and so you think by the end, why why did I watch this episode? Yeah, Patrick, Patrick, <laughs> why did they make this episode? Patrick Stewart is doing some weird stuff, too. Right? There, there, there's a moment where there's a moment where essentially Jordy says, like, I could fix this using technology. And he's like, no, don't bother. I'm going to play it out right, <laughs> my way. Um, <laughs> I have a plan. <laughs> and, and, you know, plays it out with this kind of weird, you know, pseudo archaeology uh, interest. But, he, you know, he, he's he's blocked weird. He's delivering every line weird. Uh, Riker, despite having nothing to do but ask questions, is incredibly intense across the entire episode, right? <laughs> really committed to this absolutely nothing role he's been given. And every scene the two of them have, they're not looking at each other, right? This is the classic TNG blocking where they're, they can't look at each other the way the sets are built. So they are constantly looking into the distance together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like just staggered. It's, yeah, it's, one just, behind it's the other. just very bizarrely, bizarrely set to allow Picard essentially to play this out like it's a holodeck simulation as opposed to <laughs> like the imminent destruction of his ship even yeah. even when he's talking to data sometimes it seems like he's just trying to get through the dialogue tree of the game right so data will say something he's like mm-hmm. ah a clue <laughs> right um you're telling me to hide and then data will say something else he's like ah you're telling me i must fulfill a plan right and like it's, it's just he doesn't take this situation as seriously as he ought to <laughs> in my opinion yes it's true. Because what's happening on the ship, we did not mention, is uh, alien icons are floating around in the computer. Literally, that's how they show it. Uh, and once again, I wonder, do Star Trek writers know how computers work? The answer is no. Um, and uh, <laughs> That special effect was wild. The clip art kind of floating yes, over the kind of floating over. Yeah. yeah, I was like, what What are you trying to show me here? Uh, that their screensaver is on? I don't understand. Uh, flying toasters. After dark, anybody? Um, and more importantly than the, the floating icons, uh, parts of the ship are being rewritten and uh, transformed into other things. So these objects that are kind of multiplying across the ship are not kind of being beamed over there by the archive, but rather it is rewriting uh, both uh, you know organic and non inorganic matter uh, to make you know whatever palm fronds and uh, styrofoam obelisks generally. I, I found uh, this a things. fascinating issue because it was able to do it in a way that never caused catastrophic failure to any system or mm-hmm. blew up the ship, right? Like it, it, it starts to transform engineering, but doesn't transform the warp drive, right? Like it must know somehow, like which parts of the ship are safe to transform. It gets up to something like 25 or 30% of the ship before they're able to defeat it. Uh, but but it never it never does anything really bad. <laughs> it's it's a very smart program. And they kind of you know in there's one dial line of dialogue about you know oh you know there could be a you know a catastrophic hull breach or something if it transforms the wrong thing. And then I thought to myself that is the exciting part of like I would rewrite this whole episode. I mean I'm not a TV writer, but I would rewrite this whole episode with that threat and have that ticking clock. Uh, but they really don't 
it's just kind of, you know, Captain Picard, as you said, just walking around <laughs> trying to figure out this these symbols and uh, getting excited yeah. that he can replicate a mask and uh, or order up a mask, really, and uh, then go pretend he's one of these uh, mythological creatures. That's such a wild scene when he says he's just going to improv it, right? He <laughs> and somehow manages this. to nail it. I mean, and Picard does, in yeah. other episodes is not a good actor, but in this one. He is able to act his way out of uh, an absolute crisis. Mm, I think that this episode is relying an awful lot on the fact that uh, Picard is an amateur archaeologist. <laughs> and so he is very excited to take place, you know, be a part of this ancient ritual uh, because this this archive is, what, 87 million years old. Yeah. So uh, he's excited, A, that, you know, because he's a Starfleet captain. So he's excited that it's a new civilization and he's excited that he can... Uh, pretend to be an archaeologist and uh surely this is what archaeologists do they just kind of wing it and show up and say i think this is what happens so let's uh let's go for it that that scene in engineering i mentioned before we move past it is also the moment you can tell the episode's going to be bad like the moment brent spiner turns and has that big grin on his face like you know the episode uh, <laughs> has moved into <laughs> bad territory uh yes. where he gets to he gets to play out his his silly characters yeah, and that's the other kind of uh, central part of this episode. So the ship is being transformed, and so is Data. He's inhabited by these kind of, I guess, four main personalities, beings. Um, it is unclear. Uh, one is the bad person who represents the sun, Masaka. Masaka. Uh, one is uh, Ehat, I guess, or something like that, who is uh, this kind of puckish trickster, it appears, and has a very annoying voice. And uh, another is an old man, because if you're going to play a young person, I guess as an actor, you also want to play an old person. Um, and then was there a fourth one? I think they maybe I, I, if, if the old man isn't the worst one, there's also a scared child who is also oh, the worst yes. one uh, mm -hmm. alongside uh, Ehat, who is terrible. All of them are agonizing to interact with. And there, there's, <laughs> there is one terrible scene where Picard has to interact with all of them in a row. And it mm -hmm. just it just goes on forever. And like the reference to the inner light, I mean, it's a completely like low rent Darmok ripoff, right? Where <laughs> they're trying to communicate through like mythological forms rather than mm -hmm. through words. Yes. And then that scene where the old man is kind of uh, he's so cold and he's huddled around this like tiny flame. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous to me. I would have liked it more if it was an actual like logs on fire just in the middle of data's quarters uh instead of this weird futuristic gas thing absolutely uh but yes uh this episode there's also it, it was another thinking too hard thing but the idea of data being confined to his quarters is ludicrous they know that by himself data can take over everything and defeat them all instantaneously with his super speed and super strength and then they post two guards outside his quarters who aren't even looking at the door and so when data inevitably escapes as you know he must he immediately neutralizes them they don't even have a chance right like yeah, you, you would them. need to tie data up plug some of that some plug some of those wires into his head to shut him down like you know how to deal with this guy and they completely fail security on the enterprise is just not <laughs> it's just not what it should be and you have it's to not. ask why Worf hasn't been relieved from the post it's true and you know not that they want to do this but they can turn data off so you know <laughs> knock him unconscious and uh, you know reboot him and uh get rid of it because i'm sure data's not enjoying this having his his body taken over and you know 
being used as a, you know, a vehicle for these, you know, play acting of this ancient civilization's mythology. Uh, yeah, no, but they are, they are lucky that when you break the spell, everything goes back to the way it was and Data's positronic net isn't just weird. Yes, because <laughs> there's that very strange scene where uh, Jordy, and it's not strange, it's a, it's a, a it turns strange, where Jordy has his, you know, his light cords plugged into Data's head. I love that uh, effect, but like that is such a a cherished memory of mine, like Data mm-hmm. being plugged into something like that. It was so nice oh, to see. Oh, I think see it's great. It. And it's it's effective because, you know, we know what that looks like. And then, you know, they cut away and then they go back to it. And it's different. Like his his literally like it's it seems as though they have this alien artifact has rewritten the matter that makes up Data's positronic brain, which seems like a big problem. Yeah. Um, but it apparently is fine. <laughs> well, we, we've come to know that data can be resurrected from a single particle of his positronic net. So it's that actually a very resilient system. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess so. And there's only one, you know, that's why uh, it's so hard to make multiple. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I, I did like, uh, I liked data's delivery or Brent Spiner's delivery of the line. Um, Jordy, what does it feel like when you're losing your mind? I thought that was really haunting. And one of those like mm-hmm. really good, Brent Spiner acting moments like he he can be so good in this show and it's just something happens that they like contractually they have to let him do like two bad episodes every single season uh he and just likes it you know lore is a huge problem every time lore shows up he loses his control over his acting uh and mm-hmm. obviously as we've <laughs> indicated at length this episode has some <laughs> some very serious uh acting problems but i like the beginning parts with data just being data and having mm-hmm. that uh that kind of bizarre relationship with himself it reminded me of the episode actually in dialogue where he where they allow him to dream which they also should not have allowed him to do <laughs> um, <laughs> true and uh yeah just that that journey remains uh, special to me uh even as this episode is a betrayal of it <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel about this episode, though. I, I'm uh, not kidding. I, I really, I really felt angry at this episode when I watched <laughs> it in 1994, and when you told me it was masks, I was like, "Not masks, no." Uh, it actually no. wasn't as bad as I remembered. I remembered it as being like show ruiningly bad, but oh. it was merely <laughs> like ordinarily bad. <laughs> That's right. This is a typical bad <laughs> yeah. Star Trek episode, and I will admit that I didn't take. I usually try to take you know, a good amount of notes because I'm going to talk about this episode with someone and I respect the time and I respect the listeners and that's, you know, kind of what my job is. Uh, and this episode, I didn't take a whole lot of notes because uh, I was bored and uh, there's not a lot going on. But one of the things I did write down was that scene where what does it feel like when a person is losing his mind? Because I thought that was super effective. So, uh, and kind of chilling because the way Brett Spiner delivers it and Jordy is very concerned as he should be. Uh, but you know, Jordy's the unsung hero of this episode because he figures out how to order up stuff from the alien artifact. Uh, and so he, he orders up the, um, the, the mask that Captain Picard needs, uh, and the, the temple that uh, Captain Picard needs to, for his harebrained scheme. <laughs> <laughs> I feel confident that Jordy's first plan, just sending a beam to shut the asteroid down would have worked. 
Uh, I have a lot yes. of confidence in Jordy and the things he comes up with. <laughs> and uh, actually, you know, I've I've made a, a swipe or two at the Picard series, but the absence of Jordy, I think, was a huge problem for that show. Um, there is a way in which Jordy is, you know, one of the hearts of TNG and particularly his friendship with Data. And leaving uh, LeVar Burton out of that show was such a mistake I, for, for me. I, I hadn't given it any thought, but I agree with you. I think having uh, LaForge in there would have been an added thing because that whole show, no, I'm not, we're not going to spoil uh, Picard <laughs> for you, but uh, it, it is really about Picard and Data's relationship. And that's kind of the through line through the whole uh, thing. And um, having LaForge there as not a complicating factor, but he also has a very strong relationship with Data. So it would have, I think it would have amplified the things that happen in it. I, I think I was uh, talking with a friend about imagining Jordy at the end of that series where Picard calls him up and it's like, I got, you know, some weird stuff happened. And Jordy's like, why didn't you call me? Like, <laughs> like I could have helped. I could have helped you exactly. He calls Riker. Oh yeah. no! Here's a there's a spoiler for a Picard Riker show. Oh, that was it. that was in one of the ads. It's okay. Okay. All right. Good. Because <laughs> as soon as I said that, I was like, oh no, I don't want to ruin it. Uh, uh, this. But this I, I, I think there's a, there's rumors that a lot more of the cast are going to be in season two. So I, I would like to catch up with Jordy and um, he whatever he's up to. Uh, I'd like to know. I, I I like Jordy a lot more than I think I thought I did when I watched the show the first time. But <laughs> when he, he's he's when he's not there, you're missing something. Yes, and when he's not uh, being creepy with holo- holographic women and then their actual counterparts, uh, he's he's a delight. I, I think there's some uh, beta canon about him actually marrying that woman, which I am troubled by. Yeah, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. Uh, this is a good Troy episode sake. too. While we're while we're talking about the B cast, she she's in uniform. She's competent, yes. right? She seems mm-hmm. to have like some level of knowledge about uh, the job she is essentially there to do. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's one of the one of the late TNG shows that lets Troy have a kind of role on the ship that isn't bad. <laughs> Even though she doesn't report to anyone the strange sculpture that appears in her her room, but she does have that class to go to, so uh, she doesn't want to be late. Captain <laughs> Crusher is a stickler for being on time, uh, or Doctor Crusher, who well, may perhaps she's Captain Crusher. Maybe we'll find out in Star Trek Picard. Who knows? <laughs> uh, she wasn't all. She should have been on that show too. I, I like. I wanted the. I wanted every single one of them on the show, even though it's <laughs> ludicrous. I just, I wanted it to be that he travels around and gets the band back together. I mean, that I wanted the bad version of the show that they delivered. I was going to say, do. yeah, they, they, I think, made a very <laughs> conscious effort not to do that. Right. But season two, why not? Hey, the whole gang comes back together. They, I mean, how could they not? You want to see every single one of them again. I want to see Ensign Rowe again. I want to see Wesley again. Mm-hmm. I want to see them all. Well, I'm going to say, well, I don't know how many, uh, Patrick Stewart is getting old, so I don't know how many episodes, uh, how many seasons of Picard we can expect, but um, maybe they'll try to, you know, drip them in to, to make people uh, want to subscribe to Paramount Plus, which is not CBS All Access anymore. Uh, but back to masks. So we have to transport back to masks. Picard is uh, very excited uh, to put this mask on and go, which I guess, you know, the, the titular mask, uh, I guess is the one that Data's wearing. So he, uh, what, somehow he senses, uh, Data does, that this, this temple has been ordered up and has been created on uh, the Enterprise. And it's unclear to me 
it feels like Jordy could tell it where to appear and uh because they seem to know but whatever it doesn't matter <laughs> uh it appears on like deck five or something and uh he takes picard takes troy right she's in there and uh data shows up after he beats up those two security guards poor security guards <laughs> uh, they knew what was going to happen <laughs> when they signed up <laughs> uh and uh it's it's you know i think the episode really wants us to think this is a very exciting scene uh, when Picard and Data are talking to each other and, you know, the ship shakes and all things happen. Um, but uh, it's not all that exciting. <laughs> all, all he needs to do is convince, uh, what did we say it was, Masaka? That, that the, Masaka. That the, the myth has been completed, right? That he yes. ha- they have been caught and the cycle can begin anew, right? So it's, there is something archetypal and like hero's journey about it, right? Like there is something fun about that, I guess, but the delivery is really stilted. You don't understand how Picard is able to script this out without any knowledge of the culture at all. He just kind of guesses <laughs> that this is what is supposed to happen and delivers the final lines uh, of, of uh, Corgano's part as if he himself were, had been moved by this experience in some way, which is not earned at all <laughs> no yeah what is this the is this the let the let the hunt begin again yeah. i'm eager for that and and, and, and you know I, I i live for the hunt i and i i cherish it right like what it what on earth <laughs> yeah this uh, picard has had all picard has done is figure out a pretty basic archaeological riddle um and done a lot of guessing and uh he has not had a very significant, from what we've seen, unless there's a whole lot happening in this episode that they just didn't put in the episode. He has not had all that much of a, uh, you know, uh, 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 an experience here other than, you know, one of his officers has been taken over by an alien artifact and his ship is completely rewriting itself, but he doesn't seem particularly too concerned about either of these things, (laughs) which is weird. (laughs) And uh, this this whole thing is pretty anticlimactic, right? Because he's like, "Oh, you're sleepy. Go to sleep. Uh, we'll we'll start this again." Uh, so uh, Masaka does go to sleep, and the ship is transformed back to the way it was. Everything's fine. Uh, Starfleet, in a nice note, because usually what happens is they just leave these things floating around. <laughs> but we do find out the episode tells us that Starfleet is sending a team to examine this artifact, um, which is a nice bit of closure we don't normally get. And uh, it ends with uh, Data still has the mask that he wore because he he made it. So it's made of clay. He's got it. Uh, and uh, Captain Picard, and this is very weird. He's like, hey, Data, you know, you want to be a human and you're never going to be a human. Um, so, but don't be too sad because now you've had an experience that no human will ever have. Um, except I've had this experience. <laughs> <laughs> but other than me. <laughs> yeah. No humans will have it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 just all it's all very strange. It it really seems like an episode that they just that they didn't quite break out very well and didn't quite know what they wanted to do. And I don't know. You get the sense that it was filmed. Like I mean, it is a bottle episode, right? Tr- you know, it is one of the ones that they're kind of doing the absolute minimum uh, <laughs> in terms of building new sets and. Uh, bringing in guest stars and things like that and it just you can kind of feel the exhaustion of it uh it, mm-hmm. the 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 memory alpha page with the reception is great with just 
everybody involved in the production blasting the episode and talking about how bad it is. Uh, Worf called it his least favorite episode, which is fitting because he's barely in it. Um, and my favorite one is uh, Brent Spiner uh, remembers how fun the episode was and then is obviously describing a different episode. <laughs> um, so even he has no recollection or a fondness for this one. Yeah, I don't know why he thinks that fans love this episode because I don't think anyone. Uh, well, I'm sure someone out there loves it. Every but, everyone uh, is somebody's favorite, as you've have you as that, you've established. That is true. So I don't want to. I you know, if you love masks, uh, I apologize for. <laughs> if you love masks, them. Scott wants to hear from you. <laughs> That's right. Send me an email <laughs> and tell me why, dear God, why you love this episode. Um, I mean, I, you know, it is fun to see Brett Spiner acting differently as Data, uh, although. The, the choices he makes, as you point out, are often inexplicable <laughs> and kind of annoying in this uh, situation. So um, even then, that kind of takes a bit of the enjoyment out of it for me. Um, and my biggest problem with this episode is it's got huge ideas, right? Which is great. Star Trek's about big ideas, uh, but it has no, like, there's no point to the ideas. Nobody learns anything by the end of it. There's no, it's not even like a, a ham-fisted allegory about modern times it's just hey here's here's some mythology you 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 know i guess the 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 lesson here is that i don't know across the galaxy everyone has the same kind of myths and we're all part of a big galactic kumbaya or something i don't know yeah and and that that you can't ever really let any of the episodes kind of linger past their own 45 minute running time right it doesn't it doesn't matter that Data has had an entire civilization within him and had this bizarre experience, right? It's completely mm -hmm. lost uh, by the time the next episode airs. And that's, you know, I have my problems with the kind of heavily serialized Trek that we have now, but the obvious problem with the episodic Trek is that none of these events truly have any weight by design, right? They all have to just kind of like <laughs> fall apart and uh, dissipate uh, into nothing uh, by the end of the episode because that's the format. Yes. And one of the, one of the, Worf mentions that one of the decks or part of the deck is turned into an aqueduct. And I said, well, why didn't, why didn't, well, I know why they didn't, but I was like, that is what you should be showing us an aqueduct on the Enterprise and the, the effects that that's having. Oh, yeah. And the ready room became a swamp, so they can't go in. They yeah. just use the bridge. <laughs> they make, yeah. Just, Which I, just the I enjoy, odd choices. I want to see those things, but obviously they wanted to keep the uh the budget for the temple set i assume uh and so they, they didn't want to spend too much money on this episode uh so they got some styrofoam yeah uh stuff and a temple set and that uh, that temple set does not is is one of the elements of the series that does not benefit from the hd conversion it, <laughs> it, it truly looks utterly <laughs> like light and yeah. nothing uh yeah, as the as the very... ship is kind of slowly transformed doesn't look as ancient and and heavy as they want it to. Yeah. Uh, much like this whole episode is not this this episode lacks the heft that I think the writer wanted it to. Like I I am I don't know. Joe Mineski Mines is that how he says his name? He's written a bunch of episodes of Star Trek. Apparently he writes for The Orville as well. Um Oh, that's interesting. For The Orville. And I am certain that he wanted you to watch this episode and have your mind blown and think about weighty things. Um but I think as, you know, if you read the Memory Alpha page, uh, everyone involved with it other than him had no idea what was going on or what the point of this episode was. And yet they still made it, which I don't really understand. Yeah. But I think sometimes they just had to make whatever one was 
<laughs> it was there, and that's just the way it was. I, th- I think that's true because I read um, uh, These Are the Voyages, which is a, a three-book series about kind of the making of the original series. And they get into these points where they're like, we need to start filming a show like <laughs> next week. And we only have this. We have two scripts. This one is too expensive. This one doesn't make any sense, but we can film it. So let's make it. <laughs> let's try to make this one make sense and film it. Yeah. I so mean, I imagine uh, I, might have been this. It had it had been a while since I'd watched a TNG episode, so it did fe- it did have the homecoming feeling. I liked to watch. I watched mm-hmm. the whole credits, right? I mean, I did I did every nostalgia thing I could get out of it. So <laughs> at least at least we have that. Yes, it's fun to visit these characters again, especially if you haven't haven't seen them in a while. And I was enjoying kind of the the eighties, early nineties look of uh, the Enterprise and the bridge and all of that. So. Um, that's nice. I mean, it's still Star Trek, so I enjoyed it. But it's, it's, I would not recommend anyone actually go out of their way to watch this episode <laughs> because it does not, it hasn't gotten better with age. Um, and it hasn't, like, what I, when I, I, it did not anger me the first time as much as it did you that I saw it. I was not uh, personally insulted by it and infuriated. Um, <laughs> I just I just had issues with all of season seven. I don't know. I I don't know if it was a an inability to detach from the show, knowing it was ending. But mm. I think the quality dipped, and there's also a lot more kind of like grim or or sour episodes that I think wore on me a little bit. Right, like um, the lower decks has the the cadet die right wesley like quits starfleet ensign row mm-hmm. like betrays picard and breaks his heart <laughs> right like everything ends in this kind of weirdly unstar trekky way uh and so i think it just and it does have some real stinkers like this one in sub rosa um and they go back to lore again and other things i, I don't care for so i i don't know it, it was hard it was it was a step down from the heights of like seasons three through six i think in general wow. And this is this is what we learn in Random Track. The the Random Track Machine giveth, and the Random Track Machine taketh away. So you were lucky enough to get Inner Light, which, <laughs> you know, by all accounts, is one of uh, maybe the best TNG episode, uh, and one of the best Star Trek episodes. And uh, and then you get this one to to even out the scales. <laughs> I, I I recently did a podcast inspired by your podcast on uh, Vonnegut. It's called Grad School Vonnegut, where we did it randomly. Uh, we started mm-hmm. with Slaughterhouse Five and then jumped to a random book. And it, the randomizer is cruel, right? It it <laughs> it doesn't always give you the thing uh, you wanted, right? And oftentimes not the thing you needed either. Uh, so I never cheated. I know you never cheat. Um, I never cheat. Uh, but it is it is interesting to to <laughs> turn your show over to a completely inanimate object and let it decide yes. <laughs> what the next episode will be. And it hurt and us will, this time. The, the, the temptation to cheat is great, but uh, <laughs> I resist that temp- because that is, that is my guarantee to you, the listener. I will say sometimes I change the parameters, which is not cheating. I don't think just like, uh, you know, Captain Kirk uh, and the Kobayashi Maru. Uh, Cause sometimes people like hate enterprise and don't want to watch enterprise or, you know, have a connection to, voyager and want to watch a voyager episode so i'm like okay we'll still watch a random episode of that but we will limit it to that series no, re- reprogramming the simulation is allowed that is part of star See, trek there you go yeah. <laughs> and it is canon i'm fine have you have cheating. you played the kobayashi maru game there's a, i have not there's a i think it's called kobayashi maru.com you can kind of play out the kobayashi maru uh scenario in different ways and you die every time it's it's 
you know it's exactly as advertised (laughs) i I think if you play long enough you can actually beat it in some fashion but i i played it five or six times and decided i had had enough (laughs) (laughs) you you had enough death Ooh, i'm going there right now i had Um, learned i was not fit for command (laughs) you have to make the difficult choices sometimes uh, you have to lose in order to win or something like that i don't know Uh, But, despite the fact that the random Trek machine was cruel to us, I had a lovely time talking to you about this not-so-lovely episode, so thank you, Jerry, for joining me and talking about Star Trek. Oh, thank you for having me again. I love coming on this show. I think it's such a great premise. I agree. (laughs) 